Fantastic. Well, um, we come from Brisbane, if you like to say it your way, but Brisbane for us, and it's great to be here today. My wife is with me. We've been married 27 years. It's a, it's a delayed 25th wedding anniversary trip, this. So we went to Hawaii on the way to Des Moines, you know. So I, I love Des Moines, but there was no beach here, so um, had to do that. And, uh, but today, my message is titled, if you're taking notes, Launching Out Into the Deep. I want to encourage you this morning that faith is the collateral of heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. Faith is the collateral of the supernatural. As Christians, we need to be people that live and walk by faith. Now, I've realized this. There's lots of needs in the world, but God doesn't respond to need. God responds to faith. If God responded to need, there'd be a massive revival in the poorest nations of the earth, in Bangladesh and Somalia and Sudan. We need to reach and help those nations. But God responds to hunger and God responds to faith. And faith is a journey that we're all on. You cannot take big steps of faith until you've taken small steps of faith. Small steps of faith precede big steps of faith. You know, David was a faithful shepherd boy over a few sheep for his father's house. But then after he showed faith in that area, he took those steps of faith. He became the shepherd of a whole nation. David first took on a lion. Then he took on a bear before he could take on Goliath. Faith is a journey. And as Christians, God's going to continually come to us every week, every month, every year and knock on the door of our head and say, hey, will you take a step of faith for me? He's going to continually come to Eternity Church and say, hey, don't get too comfortable. I want you to take steps of faith for your city, for the nation and for the nations. For the Christian war continually requires us to take steps of faith. See, you, you, you may not have grown up in church. You may have been grown up in a secular family, an unsafe family, and, and then some someone from your workplace or someone from your college or one of your neighbours or friends said, you've got to come to this church. And you thought, I'm not going to that church, attorney church. That's a crazy church. They clap their hands. They lift their hands. I've heard crazy things about those people. But by faith, you got in a car and came to church. And by faith, some volunteers came early and played played music by faith and by faith a preacher preached a message and by faith a pastor gave an altar call and by faith you put up your hand you didn't know what you're getting into and by faith you walk to the front and by faith you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and by faith you believed in your heart that he was risen from the dead and by faith you were born again the Christian walk is always about taking steps of faith but it doesn't stop there We've got to continually take steps of faith. And then someone said to you, that's fantastic, you're born again. But have you been baptized in water by full immersion? And by faith, you found yourself standing in front of the church dressed like an angel. And by faith, you went down under the water. And by faith, you came up representing the death and the resurrection of your old life like Christ. And that was by faith. And you grew in your relationship with God. But you can just stop there on that spiritual plateau. But then someone in church said, that's fantastic, you've been born again by faith. You've been water baptized by faith. But have you been baptized in the spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues and by faith you asked for that gift and by faith you spoke out in tongues and by faith you grew to a whole nother level maybe you came from a more traditional form of background in your in your christian walk and you thought i don't like these people that clap and lift their hands in church they're just for the, all the outgoing sanguine kind of people but i i worship god stoically from the inner man you know i'm celebrating god on the inside not on the outside and you're standing there with your coffee in church and then you start reading the Bible. 
Yes, the Bible. See, worship and praise is not a personality thing. It's a biblical thing. And the Bible says, clap your hands, all ye people. The Bible says, clap your hands, all ye people. The Bible says, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. The Bible says, lifting holy hands to him. And so you realize this is not a personality thing. This is a biblical thing. Oh, I don't know if to do that. What happens if I lift my hands? Everyone's watching me. No one's watching you. They're reading the screen, okay? And so you came to church and you thought, maybe I'm going to worship long and do it secretly. And so you thought, you took a big step of faith. You're like, and then you thought, I don't care. I'm going to lift up my hands. And by faith, you received a new experience in your praise and worship. Do you remember the first time you gave in your tithes and offerings? Opened up your wallet and moths came out. You felt challenged to give that $5 bill you were squeezing on so tight. Abraham Lincoln had tears in his eyes. He hit the bucket. But you stepped out in faith. The Christian walk, God is continually going to come to eternity church, going to continually come to you as a married couple and as a family and say, what steps of faith are you taking for me? I'm telling you, I remember the first time I ever really took a step of faith for God. I was a teenager. I went to a state school and, um, and uh, we played football, not this kind of football that you have with protective gear. We, have, we play football with no protective gear. And, uh, and it was Australian football. And, we, and I played football every Sunday. My parents were new Christians and we just came from out of town. We lived in the country to the city at night. We drive in an hour and a half and I played football on Sunday, went to church on Sunday night. I love God. And I was, I think I was about 14 years of age. And the pastor came to my mum and dad and said, you know, you're new Christians. A lot of people are coming from this part of the city. We want to start a new location, a new campus in your area. Would you host it in your home to start the church? And, uh, and my dad said, sure, that's great. And so my dad came to me in the middle of the football season. I went, uh, there wasn't many Christians in my school. So football was my identity. Football was my friendship circle. Football was making me as a teenage male feel accepted in, 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 in my community. And my dad said, hey, Paul, we're starting a church in our house. I said, that's great, Dad. I'll come after football. He said, no, you're coming to church. He says, and I've given you an option. You can have a good attitude and God will bless you, or you can have a bad attitude, but you still stop playing football and you're coming to church. My dad was old school parenting. You know, new school parenting is time out. My dad said, I'm, I brought you into this world. I can take you out of this world. That's my dad's parenting style. And so, so he said, we're doing this. And I remember I was so disappointed. I thought, I don't want to give up football. And I remember I was so angry at my parents. I rode my BMX five miles to the football training and back because my parents wouldn't take me. And my coach came around to my parents and called them religious fanatics saying, why are you not letting your child go to, to football? He's got talent. Why would you want to go to church? My friends at school started teasing me and isolating me because I'm a religious fanatic giving up football to go to church on a Sunday in somebody's lounge room and I remember I was so discouraged and my dad came in one night to say prayers with me in my room he said Paul God never takes away from you without giving you something better I said what could be better than football chess golf and I was so discouraged. My dad said, you've got to trust God. You've got to take a step of faith. You've got to launch out. God's never going to let you down. And I'm like, sure, Dad, just like you don't play chess. And a couple of nights later, I finally got to my knees. I said, Lord, I love you. I just want to do what's best for you. I'll surrender this in Jesus' name. And I'll take a step of faith. And the next night, you see, my dad came into my room. We had a map on my wall. And he said, you know, God could do anything, Paul. What would be the greatest thing you could do? I was 14 years of age. I said, I would love to go to Texas and visit my cousins who were living in Houston. And uh, two nights later, he prays a prayer with me. Two nights later, my uncle from Houston rings and says, hey, we, it's summer break coming up and we can't all afford the family of five to come back to Australia. We've decided we can afford to 
fly one relative from Australia to Houston for three-month holiday break, and we're going to do a tour down the I-10 to Disney World and Florida, and we're going to hang out, we're going to have a great time. We all voted that Paul should come. Is that okay, Paul? I'm like, who cares about football? I'm going to Disney World, okay. <laughs> but it was the first time that I took a step of faith and trusted God and realised that God could bless me far beyond what I could consider and imagine. You see, Hebrews 11:6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he, for he who comes to God must believe that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It doesn't say without worship. It doesn't say without prayer. It doesn't say without tending church. It says without faith. It is impossible to please God. So God will continually challenge us as individuals to take steps of faith. God will continually challenge this church community, this church family here at Eternity to take steps of faith. He'll continually challenge your pastors and leaders and board to take new steps of faith. And I want to tell you, great faith and miracles come often from small steps of obedience. Great faith and miracles often come from seemingly insignificant opportunities. Great faith and miracles often come from inconvenient openings in our daily lives. Romans 12 verse 3 says this, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt each one of us a measure of faith. The Apostle Paul here in the book of Romans tells us that God has already given each one of us believers a measure of faith. So we don't need to ask for more faith. God has given each one of us a measure of faith. But you say, Pastor Paul, I've only got a small measure of faith. I don't think I've got much faith. Let's read another scripture, Luke 17 verse 5. And the Apostle said to the Lord, that's Jesus, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted by the sea and it would obey you. So you know what's amazing? Even small mustard seed, tiny faith has incredible power. So we don't need to ask God for more faith. We need to ask God for boldness and courage to exercise the measure of faith that he's already given us. Because even mustard seed faith is incredibly powerful. God wants us as believers to continually take steps of faith. It's moving from the comfort zone into the faith zone. It's moving from the comfort zone into the grace zone, into the miracle zone. So I want to read to you a passage of scripture this morning. It's quite a long passage out of the Gospel of Luke about people launching into the deep. So if you've got your Bibles, if not, you can cheat off the screen. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. How are you going with my Australian accent, okay? Verse 1 says this, So it was that the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats standing by the lake, and but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So here were these fishermen. They'd fished all night. They'd come in. There was thousands of people pressing around Jesus as he was talking to him On the beach, he was back into the water. So he asked the fishermen, can I use your boat as a pulpit? Then he, st- then he stopped speaking and he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and we have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. 
And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and the net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they began to fill both of the boats, so they both began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and they followed Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray this word would not be the vain repetitions of a man, but this word would be the supernatural seed that gets planted in men and women's hearts that would bring faith this morning. Because your Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let us walk out of these doors different than the way we came in because we were encouraged in your encountered God in worship, encountered God in the preaching of the word, and we encountered God in the encouragement of fellow believers. And everybody said, it's an amazing thing to launch out into the deep. These guys were fishermen and they weren't just fishermen, hobby fishermen or weekend fishermen. They were professional fishermen and their fathers were fishermen before them and their grandfathers were fishermen before them and their great-grandfathers. So these guys were professional fishermen. They knew what to do. They had fished all night and caught nothing. They had tried everything they knew about fishing. They had toiled in their own human effort in all of the things that they'd known to do and caught nothing. And it's amazing because Jesus comes and you think, you fished all night and then some carpenter comes to you and says, can I use your boat for a pulpit? I would think, no, you can't use my boat. I just fished all night, I'm tired. And they say, no worries. That small step of obedience. See, God's not after perfect people. He's just after empty vessels that he can fill with his own thing to, to bring life to the world. And so then what happens after he preaches from that pulpit, the boat, a small step of obedience, he says, I want you to push out to the deep where the miracles are. Push out to the deep where you're not in control, where God is in control. Because you know what? Sometimes my dad loves to fish, but my dad doesn't, he gets seasick, so he doesn't like to go on boats. He fishes from the land because he's in full control. But then you can be fishermen and you can fish with your feet in the water or you can get waders and you can fish up. But then there's a place where you get totally into the, the river and the current takes you away. Excuse me. Got a croaky voice in this air conditioning. <coughs> God doesn't want us to stay in the comfort zone. He wants to take us into the faith zone, the miracle zone of God. And so this morning, excuse me, <coughs> this morning I want to give you four things of how we as Christians can launch out into the deep. First thing is this. If you want to go from the comfort zone to the faith zone, we need to realise if we're going to launch out into the deep that we have access, full access to all of God. We've got to realize as Christians, we have an unfair advantage over the world. We have God, Emmanuel, with us. We have the Holy Spirit that we can tap into. We have the wisdom of God's word to make decisions that can lead us. You can have access. You can have access. When Christ died upon the cross and that veil was torn, that means not just one person could go into the Holy of Holies, that all of us can boldly come into the throne of grace. Hebrews 4, 6 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace in help in time of need. Now, <clears throat> we just flew from Australia to the US and, um, and you know, God doesn't have first and second and third class Christians. Who hates it when you go to the airport and it's like, you know, 
platinum and diamond members, you come forward first. And it depends how much money you paid in the ticket. You might be waiting right to the end. And if you're on South Western, forget about it. It's like a fight to get a seat. <laughs> There's no equality there. And so we, we went flying again this time. And see, in, I fly an airline in Australia called Qantas. And uh, I've been flying for 20, 30 years in the airline, so I've got high mileage status. So I'm a platinum, platinum member. They have gold, they have diamond, they have Joe, my wonderful wife, she's a bronze member. We're in different classes <laughs> on that airline. And so when we got on the air, we were sitting in the same section, we were sitting in economy seats, and, and then this beautiful hostess comes up to me and goes, Dear Mr. Gearlings, great to have you. It's a platinum member travelling on Qantas Airlines again. Would you like a coffee? Would you like a drink? Would you like... And Joe's like, what about me? You're just bronze. <laughs> I'm platinum. I have access to the lounge. I have free upgrades and all this kind of... Well, God's not like that. There's not like first-class Christians and platinum-class Christians or Pastor Jesse and Lauren. They're in platinum class, but I'm just some bronze. So therefore, when I pray, it doesn't have... This. No, no, no. The Bible says all of us have full access. When the veil was torn, we can all access the throne room of God. There's no limit to your access to God and his power and his provision and his healing and his salvation. Bible says no Jew, no Gentile, no Mephone. No we're just, we're, we, are, we are a royal priesthood. We are, we're a holy people. And I want to encourage some people walk around thinking their whole lives they're a second class Christian. Well, you grew up in a Christian family, so therefore God answers your prayers. You know, I did all these bad. No, no. Once we were saved, once we were born again under the blood, old man has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's a lie from the devil that you will just live in a, a, a spiritual plateau and not access the things of God to think that you're a second-class Christian in this church. I want to encourage you today. You, you have the same access to God as I have access to God. You, that's why this book says in Hebrews, we can boldly enter the... I want to encourage you this morning that you would have a revelation understanding that God's ear is inclined to every one of your prayers. When you wake up in the morning, he's waiting for you to come and talk with him and be in his presence in worship or prayer or, or, or receive some revelation from the word of God. There's no first, second, third class Christians. There's just men and women redeemed by the blood of the lamb and loving God. So you have the same access as any other Christian on the planet in God. And to launch out in the deep, you need to realize that you have full access to God. No matter what your past, no matter what things that you have done, we're all forgiven. We're all saved by grace, not by works in the kingdom of God. The second thing, if you want to launch out into the deep, you need to realize that you need to take action. You need to take action. Verse 5 says this, But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and we've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Peter took action on the word that Jesus gave him. He threw his nets out again. Now, he's going to understand this. This would be very hard for him because he is a professional fisherman. Jesus is a professional carpenter. And people don't like in their expertise to be told by someone who knows nothing about their thing what they should be doing. <laughs> Dr. Joe's here in the front row. He doesn't want me to tell him how to look after a child in ICU. Praise God, you don't want me to tell him either. So, so this is the amazing thing. He's a professional fisherman. He knows how to fish. He's fished these lakes for years and decades, the Lake of Galilee. He knows every fishing spot. He knows where the fish are. And then he hears the words of Jesus, let down your nets for another catch. And he's like, what? I don't understand that. But he had to take action. Sometimes we're praying to God for him to do all the work for us. The book of Ecclesiastes says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Make a decision. 
Sometimes I think God's just saying, take some action. Just do something. You want to start a business? Well, it's not just going to fall out of the sky and appear like a miracle one day. Maybe you need to read some books about business. Maybe you need to have a coffee with a business person that's done what you want to do. Maybe you need to volunteer and intern at a place that does business. Maybe you need to study and go back to university and get an MBA. Do something to follow the vision of your life. God, God's going to help you on the way, but he's given you gifts and talents for a reason. Well, I'm called to missions, Pastor Paul. Well, what are you doing for God now? Don't just, don't just have such a great vision for the future that you're paralyzed for the now. I want to be a vision. I want to do something in China. Well, great. Well, hey, why don't you start the mission field here in this church today? They need workers in kids' church. That's a good, just do something. You see, our world is made for comfort, not action. And I'm so glad I said yes to God. I said yes to God as a teenager serving kids' church. I said yes to God when I was at college to go on that short-term missions trip. I said yes to God, uh, you know, to being a youth leader. And that, praise God, that's how I met my wife, Joe. Sometimes we're not saying yes. I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you saying no to God on? Because it may be withholding the next great chapter of your life. To launch out in the deep, it goes from the place of control to the place of faith. It's getting out of your comfort zone into the faith zone. Many years ago, when we pioneered our church... We pioneered in a movie cinema at a university lecture hall and, and uh, we had great worship in our church. But the one thing we were missing, about a year into the church, we didn't have a keyboard player. And my wife had played keyboards for 25 years in church and the one condition she gave me when we planted our church is, I'm not playing keyboards. So I, so I asked her to run the kids' church. But anyway, um, and, so, and so we had no keyboard player and so we had a great worship team. And I remember one day after a year of our church, I was having an argument with God. Who's ever had an argument with God? who's ever been a victim sometimes, and I was having a whinge, I was having a complaint, I was saying, God, we haven't got a keyboard player. Our church would be better if we had a keyboard player. My preaching would be better. My altar calls would be better with the keyboard playing. And, um, and I was praying to God, and I was saying, God, can you fix this problem? And he goes, you do something. I'm like, you do something. He's like, you do something. Who's ever, come on, who's ever had an argument with God? And then I realized, I said, okay, what do you want me to do? He says, I don't know, you just do something. So I remember going back there, what can I do? And I rang up a friend, and I said, hey, what's the best keyboard you can buy? He goes, well, this particular model, because I knew nothing about keyboards. And I went down to the music shop and we bought this expensive keyboard. Then I came back to church on Sunday. We were full packed down, set up church. said, hey, can you set the production, guys? Can you set up this keyboard? Why? 25 minutes setting that keyboard up for nothing? We haven't got a keyboard player. I said, just do it. Just set up the keyboard. And so for the next four weeks, every week, we set up the keyboard and there was no one there at the keyboard. And it's like then after the fifth week, I'm shaking hands in the foyer after church with people and this guy comes up to me and goes, hey, Pastor Paul, and love the worship, just new to church here, and I just noticed you have a keyboard that's got no keyboard player. I said, yeah. He goes, well, I just, I graduated from the Conservatory of Music. I'm a music teacher. I love playing keyboard. Could I play keyboard in church next week? I said, sure, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> I'm asking God to do this miracle and someone would three deer appear before me and God says, just do something. Don't wallow and complain, Paul. Don't blame God and argue about it. Do something. You want a better marriage? Do something. Buy your wife flowers. Take her out on a date. Take her on a holiday or a vacation. You want to be a better parent? Do something. Spend more time with your kids. Pray for God for a key for each one of them and their personality to bring out the best in them. You want a better pastor? Don't move churches. Pray for your pastor. Sometimes we, God's, we're asking God to do something. Say, hey, why don't you do something for the kingdom? Stop saying no to God and start saying yes. John F. Kennedy said this, don't ask what your country can do for you. 
but ask what you can do for your country. That was in the middle of the space race when NASA was trying to get to the moon and beat the Russians. Well, I think sometimes God's saying to us Christians, don't ask what I can do for you, but start asking what you can do for me. What would have happened if Noah said, I don't build boats? What would have happened if Abraham said, I love my country, I'm not going to leave to a new country? What would have happened if Joseph said, I'm not serving Potiphar, I'm his slave. I will not interpret dreams and I will not forgive my brothers. What would have happened if Moses said, the Israelites aren't my responsibility, I'm not going back to Egypt? What about Joshua said, I'm scared of water, I don't cross rivers. What about Vesta said, I will not go on that beauty competition. Or Nehemiah says, I won't go back to my hometown. I don't rebuild broken walls and cities, I only like greenfield sites. What happened if David said, I don't like sheep and I definitely don't want to fight giants. What about if the Apostle Paul said, I don't write letters, I only preach. Where would have happened if they said no to God? My question to you this morning, church, is what are you saying no to God about? Well, we can't afford a new building on that property out the front there. What's wrong with this building? It's, it's working, all right? Sometimes we're saying no to God and God wants us to say yes. You know, a friend of mine in Brisbane, where I live, he was a missionary in Tanzania and Africa for many years. He came back and the Lord spoke to him and his wife to start a church. And the church didn't really grow, but they knew it was what God told them to do. They had incredible success on the mission field. They came back to Brisbane and they were really struggling. And the church, over after 10 years, hadn't grown past 60 or 70 people. They were just renting this little shop front. And one day he started just really complaining to God, saying, God, we're never going to get a church. And this went on for ages. He was whinging and complaining, we're never going to be rich enough to get our own church building. How can our church grow? All the other churches in our city have beautiful venues and we served you on the mission field and how come you haven't given us a church? And, and then one day God said, I never said you couldn't have a church building. You've just been telling me for 10 years it can't happen. And he's like, I'm sorry, Lord. He said he was walking along the river and he prayed this prayer and he repented and said, sorry, I'm sorry for my unbelief. I'm sorry I kept saying no when you always were saying yes. And he said, well, Lord, how do, I, how do I buy a church building? We've only got 70 people in our church. He said, what could the average congregation member in your church believe for? He said, well, most people believe in to buy a family home. He says, why don't you take up an offering for a deposit to buy a family home for the church? Just buy a, ho- a house in the suburbs. So they took up an offering. A couple of weeks later, they bought their first house as a church and got some renters in. Then a couple of, week, couple of years later, bought another house. Over a period of six, seven years, they bought five, five or six houses. And then we had a great boom in our city. And a couple of years later, they were to sell those houses. They, with about, they made about $1.4 million profit and bought a $3 million factory and fitted out to be a beautiful church. For years, he was saying, no, 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 no. And God was always saying, yes, yes, yes. I want to encourage us from what have you been saying no to God? And he's saying yes. I think sometimes God's asking us as Christians, saying, don't ask me what I can do for you. I can do anything for you. Why don't you ask me what you can do for me? The third thing this morning is this. To launch out in the deep, you need to articulate the language of faith. Verse 5 says, But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and we have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. See, words from God, as we speak them out, can shape our future. Sometimes as pastors, I can think things, but when I articulate it from the pulpit, it's out there. I can't, sometimes I'm preaching, I think, why did I say that? People are going to hold me accountable to that. It's amazing, but words shape the future. God spoke the word into, world into existence. 
He didn't think it. He spoke it into existence. Sometimes when we see our kids, we've got to speak over the future. Sometimes we see a bad situation. Let's not say the obvious, what everyone else is saying. Let's speak, what, is, what, what does God's word say about this situation? And let's speak those words over it. We've got to articulate the word of God over every situation. What unfulfilled words and promises and dreams are over your life and your family? What unfulfilled prophetic words are over this church and this city and this community? Oh, but God, we've toiled all night and we've caught nothing. God, we've done that before. We've done that. We've been praying for those unsaved kids of mine, those backslidden kids come back for years. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nets. You see, it takes faith to articulate not what you see in the natural, but what God says. Sometimes all you have in life is a word from God. Everything in your life could be going the opposite direction, but you need to stand on that word. Sometimes I have Christians come to me, give me a new word, Pastor Paul. I say, well, have you obeyed the old word that God gave you? Why well, would God give you something new if you haven't been obedient to the other word that he gave you? You know, when, when we uh, were first married, I think about the fourth year we, uh, of marriage, we got, we got pregnant, Joe and I, and uh, we were really excited. So I went down to the store and bought a name book you know talking about names and girls names and boys names and and um i got so excited and we i said let's get a top five girls top five boys name and and then joe says to me about four months into the pregnancy she said well no it's not going to be a girl don't worry about girls name book god told me it's going to be a boy i'm going to have a household full of boys i said how do you know that how come god speaks to you and won't speak to me she goes i just know i've just known i always gonna have a house full of boys and, and i said well you don't know it's just a, it, it's just luck we don't know it's a 50 50 chance when this baby's born i'm having to make sure we have a girl name and, um, and so then about eight months pregnancy, I get the book out again. I said, let's look at these names again. She said, no, no, we don't need to look at that names book. We're going to have a boy and God's told me the name. I'm like, how come he keeps speaking to you? He doesn't speak to me. <laughs> this is going to be a boy. It's going to be called Joshua. He's going to be strong and courageous. He's going to lead people in the promised land. He's going to be David, Joshua David, a worshiper, a man after God's own heart. I said, well, you don't really know that. Well, another month passes. We have the baby. It's a boy. It's a fluke. It's 50-50, you know. And so we call him Joshua David. Well, another four years comes down the track and we get pregnant again. And, and so I get the same books out, the girl's book name and the name of the boy's book. And we start looking at names and Joe says, put it away. God's told me we're having a house full of boys. You just, you just got lucky last time in guessing it. You don't really know. This could be a girl. I want to have some girl's name. Then about seven months into the pregnancy, I said, let's look at the names again. She goes, no, no, don't look at the names. God's given me the name. I'm like, no, how come he keeps speaking to you? He says nothing to me. She goes, I don't know. But he's going to be called Samuel. He's going to be a prophet to the nations. From a young age, he's going to hear the voice of the Lord. And he's going to be called Paul. I said, after me? No, you idiot. After the apostle Paul that wrote the Bible and preached around and planted churches. And so sure enough, the baby was born and he was a boy and we called him Samuel Paul. But you know what we did all through their childhood years when they were young at home? We would go into their rooms at night, first into Samuel's room, because he was a naughty one, always awake. Close your eyes, Samuel. And I would, I would, I would articulate that word God gave Joe. I'd say, you're going to be Samuel from a young age. I'm praying over you. You're going to hear the voice of God. You're going to know God. You're going to be a prophet of nations. You're going to be Paul. Yes, like your dad and like the apostle Paul. And i just speak that word every night in my prayers over them. And then I'd go into Joshua's room. Yeah, you're going to be strong and courageous. You're going to be a man after God's own heart. You're going to be a worshiper. And you know, as those kids and young adults, I can see those words coming to life. There's promises that you have that you need to articulate. You need to do warfare with the words God has given you. Even Jesus didn't pray just against the devil when he was tempted he said it is written 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Don't fight it in your own strength. Get the word of the Lord and fight that battle. What do you need to articulate in faith over your family? What word from God do you need to articulate over your life, over your health? over your kids, where they're not what you can see in that. Any stupid person can tell you all the problems in life, but the Word of God brings solutions and the Word of God brings hope and the Word of God brings faith to the circumstances of your life. And lastly, when you launch out into the deep, God brings acceleration and multiplication. He brings favour. Verse 6 says this, and when they'd done this, they'd thrown the net on the other side. They caught a great number of fish and their nets were breaking. So they signaled to their partner. See, when you have a breakthrough, when you launch out in the deep, it doesn't just affect you. It affects all those people around you. And they shared that miracle with the other partners in their boat. And their boat began to sink as well. See, sometimes when God brings miracles, we think it's all going to be beautiful and tiptoeing through the tulips. But sometimes there's more challenges when God brings miracles to the church and to your life. For he and with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. You know, it's, it's a lot easier to steer a moving vehicle than a stationary one. Who's ever tried to turn a wheel in a car that's stationary? But when it's moving, it's easy to turn. We sometimes need to give God something to work with. That's why I encourage you, you know, you say, I don't get much when I read my Bible. You just keep reading your Bible and you're giving God something to speak to you out of. Watching endless Netflix and Amazon will not give you the same revelation. You know, it's like when you've been in church, like in the week you're singing the songs, but when I'm listening to the radio or I've been at the gym and all that pump, boom, boom, boom music, I'm thinking that through. It's amazing what you put in, how it comes out. We have to give God something to work with. Can I have the musicians please come? You know, I want to encourage you today. When we take steps of faith, when we sometimes take small, insignificant steps, it's amazing what it can unlock on the other side. They fished all night and they caught nothing. They were professional fishermen. And then he says, but that's your word. I'll throw it It was the same water. It's just the other side of the boat. It's the same lake. Is there more fish on the left-hand side of the boat than the right? And that's, it was just God put his super on top of their natural. You know, one of my, my favorite sayings in our church is ordinary people connected to a supernatural God can do extraordinary things. The book, the Bible's filled with ordinary people full of faults and failings and shortcomings, but they get connected to God, they do amazing things. Come on, raise your hand. Do you feel, when you got up this morning, did you feel pretty ordinary? I'm ordinary, you're ordinary. But when we live a life of faith, we get connected to a supernatural God. Therefore, we can do extra ordinary things for the kingdom of God. See, Christianity is not just between Sunday service at 10.30 to 12. Christianity is to be outworked in your workplace, in your family, in your street, your suburb, in your school. It's amazing what God can do. Um, you know, I, I finished with a story. Years ago, uh, in our city of Brisbane, we had a massive flood. About 75,000 homes and businesses were flooded. And our church building got flooded. I think it was about 36 inches of rain in 48 hours. It was like a downpour. And we had about a six foot of water for our church. Our ceiling was leaking, so our three-story building, there wasn't one room in the church that wasn't damaged by that. And, um, and so we think we put in an insurance claim. I don't know the facts. Um, a friend of mine will tell me afterwards if these facts are correct. But it was um, 
I think it was about $1.2 million claim we put into the insurance company and they came back saying, we'll give you $250,000. And we're like, we're gonna go broke. I remember I was so stressed for weeks. We couldn't find a home for our church. We were spiritual refugees in our own city, different locations and our giving went down. People left the church and it was a really challenging time. And we were fighting the insurance company for over 12 months and nothing was changing in our situation. It was really, really low. And I remember I was just getting so discouraged. I think we're going to have to sack the staff. We're going to have to do all these things. And I just remember personally, I was at a, I was trying to do it all in my own strength. I was toiling all night and I was still catching nothing. And I remember probably six to nine months in, I came to a place saying, God, I don't know, we'll know what to do. You've got to, unless you do something, this thing's over. The vision of our church is over. Because we, we need more than $250,000. And I remember going to a meeting and I was just worshiping the Lord, thanking God in the middle of my storm, in the middle of my circumstances. And the Lord said, this is the key. If you'll step out of faith in this, if you'll launch out of the deep, this is the key to getting your insurance claim and your breakthrough for your church. He said, I want you to ask the board, what is the amount of money that we could survive on? And then tie that amount in faith to other churches and missions ministries to believe for a breakthrough for your insurance claim. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I went to the board meeting the next week and we sat around the table. I said to the finance guy, I said, how much do we need that we think will, if the, the smallest amount of, the, of a compensation we could get, we could go forward as a church. And I think we worked it out to be a million dollars. I said, well, that's fantastic, guys. I believe God's going to give us an answer to our insurance problem. But this is how the key gave me. He said, I feel we need to tithe what we're believing for in our insurance claim. Well, there's a few big deep breaths in the room. And I said to our finance man, hey, what's in the bank? I think it was about 125000 I said, well, that's tithing $100,000. So we just wrote checks to church that helped us start, a missions group here, and, and we gave a 10% check. And within two or three days, I get a phone call. Hello, is you, your name Mr. Gilling? Yes, okay. And um, Hey, I'm a new insurance assessor. I've been assigned to your case. The old one's not on the case anymore. And I can't understand why for 18 months you haven't you haven't claimed your, hasn't been settled this insurance claim. If you come down to the Gold Coast, say, would you sign for a million dollars? Let me think about that. Okay, that'd be great. And we've been fighting, yeah, thank the Lord. In our own strength, we've been fighting so long, toiling all night, catching nothing. And one key from the Lord, one word, one little step of obedience, and everything changed. And you know what? Maybe you're a kid away from the Lord. One thing, one little breakthrough, one word of wisdom, their life can turn around. One, maybe there's a challenge in your workplace with management or staffing or whatever it is. And you know, God can give you one word that can help change that whole environment in that place. I want to encourage you today. God didn't build us for the comfort zone. He built us Christians and believers to live in the faith zone. So let's at Eternity Church keep launching out into the deep. My old senior pastor, she used to say, God is only limited by a man's faith and prayer. Smith Wigglesworth said, anyone can be ordinary, but it takes faith to be extraordinary. A great Christian leader once said, optimism ignores the facts. Hope challenges the facts, but faith transcends and supersedes the facts. The facts are real. Don't be a Christian like that. I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. You're sick. That report from the doctor is true. But faith says, by his stripes, I am healed. Your finances may be in deep trouble right now. Your business cash flow may be in a bad place. But faith says, that's the facts. 
But faith says, He shall supply all my needs according to His riches in glory. You may be facing an impossible situation in your family or in your workplace. That's what the facts are. The facts are real. But faith says nothing is impossible for our God. All things are possible to those who believe. The facts are you may have unsaved backslidden kids or an unsaved spouse, and it seems impossible for them to come to life. That are the facts. But faith says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The facts are you're facing a mountain or a giant before you, but faith says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The facts are we're living in a crazy generation with all kinds of uncertainties in this world. Inflation, there's a war in the Ukraine, there's crazy things happening in China, all these kind of things. Fear can cripple you and restrict you, but that's not faith. Faith says, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, of love and of sound mind. You may be lonely today. You may feel separated away from family. But you know what? God says, I'm Emmanuel, God with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Maybe the devil's speaking to you about guilt and shame for the decisions and the things that have happened in your past. Hey, that's not, that's the facts. But faith says this, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I want to encourage us, church today. The facts are real. The challenges are real. But faith supersedes and transcends the facts of life. That's why we need God's Word. That's why we need God's house. And that's why it's so important to be in God's presence because they are faith builders. Cynicism, sarcasm, negativity, they are the robbers of your faith. But I'm telling you, His presence, His Word and the fellowship of believers, they are the boosters, the accelerators of your faith. So would you stand with me today as we pray in this place? Because I believe, firstly, some of you, God's been saying, will you say yes? And you keep saying no. There's people here. I feel this in the Spirit. You're in your 50s and 60s. And God's saying, hey, it's a season again to serve a kids' church. You're like, oh, I've done that before. No, no. This church needs you. The next generation needs you. You're worried about the next generation? Why don't you disciple and do something about it now? There's people here over 60 today and your best years are to come. They're not behind you. They're in front of you. If you're a senior here today, you're needed in this church. You're foundational to this church. If you're a senior here today, why don't you read the last book of Job? It's awesome. Don't read the rest of Job. It's so terrible. But the last chapter's awesome. Because in his latter days, his last days are more blessed than all the former days. And I believe there's some older people. You can, you can, you can be a blessing to this church in prayer. You can every day encourage someone in this house. This church, this is not a church of young people. It's a church of all generations. But I want to encourage these people here today, you've got to stop saying no and start saying yes. Could we bow our heads and close your eyes? I just feel there's some people here right now and the Lord's challenged you. He wants you to take some steps of faith. Maybe start a business. Maybe go back and study. There's people here today, I feel this right now in the Spirit, because of the financial challenge and inflation, and you're actually fearful to have a child because you can't afford it. If God says have a child, have a child. Don't live in fear, live in faith. He's your provider. Step out for the Lord. And many of you have been saying no, and God's saying, we give me a yes, not a no. And see what that small step of obedience will open up in the blessing and the favour of God. If that's you this morning, you say, you're poor, I feel I've been saying no to God, and you start saying yes. If that's you, just raise your hand, we're going to pray all over this place. Thank you, thank you for your obedience. Thank you for your honesty. Lord, I thank you for these wonderful sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I pray today that we be people of faith we would stop saying no. Like a little baby always says no their first word before they say yes. I pray as a child of God, we would start saying yes. Amen. So be it to what you say to us, we pray. 
in the mighty name of Jesus. Encourage your people this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. Everyone just look at me for a moment. When I was talking about access to God, you won't say it publicly, but there's people here who feel like a second-class Christian. Well, if they really knew what I used to do in my life, they knew the addiction I have or that challenge. Man, we're all fallen. We're all broken. But we are trophies of God's grace. But by the grace of God, I'm not standing here today. No one in this room is perfect. Don't believe the lies of the devil. Because of the shed blood of Christ, not because of anything we've done, we have full access to God. There's no first-grade platinum Christians and bronze and silver Christians. We're just sons and daughters. In fact, the Bible calls us royalty. We're royalty. And I want you to close your eyes for me. I just feel this. There's some people, you've been Christians a long time. But if you're honest, you feel like a second-class Christian. I feel the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you today. You are a son of the King. You're a daughter of the King. You're a prince. You're a princess. You're favoured of the Lord. You have the same access as anyone who stands on this platform. And God's saying, come on. Come after me. Boldly walk into the presence. If that's you this morning, say, Paul, I've had wrong thinking. I felt like I'm a second-class Christian. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. We're going to pray. All over this. Thank you, sir. People being honest, just close your eyes and give them their respect, we pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for these people. Let them have a revelation today, a revelation today of the power of God. Let them have a revelation that they are they were bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. They are valuable. You know the hairs on the head. You have them in the palms of their hands. Lord, you know their past. You know the present. You know the potential of their future. I pray today, let them have an understanding that they are 100%. Lord, have full access to everything of heaven of God, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. You know, his ear is inclined to your prayer, the Bible says, in the book, in the Word. Lastly today, I want to pray for this. What are you articulating? What are you declaring? You know, when we see bad behavior in our kids, well, we're going to address it. We don't say, well, this kid's just bad. He's just a bad apple. This kid's terrible. You know, you're, you're confessing. You're, you're, you're shaping that kid's future. I'm telling you, no, that's wrong behavior. This is not who you're really. You're better than this. You've disappointed me today, but you're better than this. You're a champion. You're a man of God. You're, you know, it's amazing what our words can do. Our confession, we need to articulate God's, what does God say about this situation? Don't, don't get on the social media list and all the prophets of doom and the peddlers of fear out there. What does God say about what's happening? The Bible says there'll be rumors of war and earthquakes and famines, but still my time is not yet come. Stop. Don't, don't get full of fear. Let's get become a people of faith. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world. God's on the throne. We just serve Him faithfully and love other people. God will do something great on the planet. And I feel there's people here today. It's like, you know what? You've got to... What's that word God spoke? You've got to get it out, dust it off. You've got to start declaring, it is written. This may, my kids may be away from you, but I'm believing they're going to come back to the house. If, you, if that's you this morning, say, Paul, I've got to declare the word of God over my circumstances and my situation. If that's you, would you just raise your hand all over this place? We're going to pray right now. Lord, I thank you for people taking steps of faith, small steps of faith today. I pray that you would remind them of dreams and visions. Lord, of Scripture you gave them when they were young. I pray that prophetic words would come alive again in their spirit to believe. And Lord, we would not fight with the philosophies of this world, but we would take out the Word of God, the two-edged sword, and we declare it is written. We declare this healing over families, healing over sick bodies, salvation over families, Lord God. We declare all these things 
for the glory of God. We pray for this church here at Eternity. Lord, there's a purpose you have us here in the centre of Des Moines, here at Clive, Lord. There's a reason why we're in this state. So we pray every prophetic word, every prayer prayed over decades in this place, Lord God. Let it come to pass. Let this church be salt and light and love to its community. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Can we give God some praise here today? I want to challenge us. This world's made for comfort, but God doesn't want you to live in the comfort zone. He wants you to live in the face. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.